Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Well, um, yeah, tonight you're in for a treat. I'm continuing my series on the divine imagination. And uh, yeah, last week was really powerful. If you missed last week, um, be sure to, to, to watch that teaching. I think it was a really powerful teaching on just how thankfulness um, really affects the imagination. I'll, I'll do a little recap of that, but... Um, and I believe that God wants to, to move and work in our hearts, move and work in our soul and our imagination. Um, I shared this scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, it's 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24. It says, now the, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. I love that Paul writes here that, that our God is a God of peace. And that word there for, uh, for in the Greek for peace is talking about rest, wholeness, prosperity, tranquility, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. And I really feel that God wants to bring peace, complete and total divine peace to every aspect of our being, our spirit, soul, and body. So many of you know this thing, that you are a spirit. That is who you are eternally. Everyone has an eternal spirit within them. Their spirit is either made alive unto Christ or it is still dead. And um, man, um, your spirit is going to dwell somewhere eternally. And, And we want our spirit to be eternally with Christ. So you are a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. So um, your body is your earth suit. That's what my dad would explain to me when we were kids. It's your suit that you wear here on this earth. And uh, so we, so he would tell us that is our earth suit. And um, you possess a soul. And I, I, I like this saying that I brought out last week. This is something I came up with. But you possess a soul. Your soul should not possess you. Some people let their, let their emotions, let their desires, let their imagine. They just let that control them, control every aspect about them. But you should possess your soul. And God gave me something in, in addition to that. You should possess your soul. But really, you should let God possess your soul. You should let him guide your desires. Let him guide your dreams. Let him even guide your imagination. And I think that's where some people fall short, maybe where they feel like they, they lose control of their emotions, lose control of their, of their um, imaginations, their desires, their plans. Um, man, let, give it over to God. Cast it over to God, and he will take care of you. So your soul, it's your mind, will, your, your emotions. But also, I, I added to that a little bit. It's your mind, will, emotions, but it also includes your thought life, your attitude, your uh, overall outlook on life, your hopes, your ambitions, your desires, your plans, your personality. I think even your personality fits into that soulish realm and also your imagination. So God, he really cares about your soul. He cares about your thought life. He cares about what's going on um, in your heart. And a lot of people really struggle constantly struggle in that um, dwelling place, that dwelling place of their soul. Um, Years ago, I came across this study that the Cleveland Clinic did about people's thought life. So this is, uh, to me, it was very fascinating. And um, um, it doesn't surprise me the the more I I think about it, but the average person thinks 60,000 thoughts per day. So some of you might have a little more thoughts than that, maybe a little less thoughts than that. Um, hopefully you're thinking something if you're here. There's something going on. If they were to study you, there'd be at least a couple thoughts registering every now and then. 
So 60,000 thoughts per day. 95% of these thoughts are the same thoughts, habitual thoughts. So of these 60,000 thoughts that people think, 95% of them, 19 out of 20, thoughts that people have are habitual. That, that means they're just programmed into you. And of these habitual thoughts, 80% of them are negative. So that means about 80% of the time, people are thinking, and they're having negative, just continual, continually negative thoughts going on in their mind. And um, God wants, to, wants to, to impact that, to redeem that. That should not be the norm for the believer. But I, I think a lot of believers still, still struggle. I think that's where the enemy often attacks people is in their soul, in their thought life, in their imagination. And um, there, there are some keys to tapping into that divine imagination, that godly imagination, that life-giving imagination that, that um, God wants to infuse his life even into your soul, even into your dreams and your imagination. Last week we talked about how thankfulness really is a key to unlocking the divine imagination. In Romans 1, verse 20 and 21, it says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he's saying God, there, there is obviously a creator. There is obviously a creator there without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. This is really important here. Nor were, nor were thankful. So because people became unthankful, it says they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So your thankfulness dictates, it guides your imagination. If, if you're continually negative in your thoughts, just negative in your thinking, maybe about yourself, just unthankful for everything going around you, 80% of the time, negative thoughts, I think that's kind of gravitates towards the unthankful realm. You know, maybe, maybe you wake up the first thing you think in the morning is, man, I'm so old. I see people who, I'm in my 30s, but I see people, I, I see jokes. I just say, you know, I went to the doctor and explained all my ailments, and he just said, well, that's just part of being in your 30s. Now, that's, that's kind of sad. You know, I just talked to my grandpa the other day. He just turned 87 years old. My grandpa Van, Van Buskirk, it's my mom's, my grandpa Van Buskirk lives in South Carolina. He, he said, there is not a single thing wrong with me. Up until the time, up until 85, he's actually working full-time, 40 hours a week at Walmart in Denver till he retired, and, and he's not really able to figure out this retirement thing. He's got to do something. You know, my, my grandpa was a master gardener in Lamar, Colorado. I think I inherited that trait from him. I'm kind of getting into gardening now as well, and um, I, I ask him for tips and advice, and um, he's really proud that I have a good garden going. And, and, uh, but he just said, I'm 87. I, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. I think a lot of people, they wake up and the first thing they think is, man, what's wrong with me today? What's wrong with my hair today? What's wrong with my, you know, arm today? What's wrong? What's wrong today? And, um, man, we, we should be thankful for the, from the moment you wake up. Just systematically jumpstart your soul. Say, so, you know, I'm going to be thankful. And your thankfulness will dictate your imagination. It will guide your imagination. So if you're thankful, your imagination is going to be productive. It's going to be creative. It's going to be godly. It's going to be generous. It's going to be, man, I like that scripture that talks about a generous person devises generous things. 
a gen- they imagine how to be generous. How can I bless someone today? How can I help someone today? What, what has God given me to, to bless someone? It's a divine, a thankful imagination is a divine, a grateful imagination is a divine imagination, a, a generous imagination. You know, my best friend that I've had since high school, he's, he's uh, we, we just got to go spend the night with him and his wife. We went to um, uh, Aspen, Colorado. We stayed at a five-star, you know, resort, and we stayed in a, a, an executive suite there. So my friend... Um, he has things he could be, you know, complaining about, you know, struggling. You know, he, he um, actually taught him how to buy and sell online. So he makes his whole living for him, his wife, and his four kids from buying and selling computers on eBay. That's all he does. And because he buys and sells so much, I think his credit card purchases are near 100 grand a month. He knows how to rack up the points. So he said, well, I got to use these points before they expire. Let's go, you know, let's go stay in the nicest place in Colorado. Heather had never been there. Heather is now, her, her imagination is, I got to be careful where I take her. We were walking around, uh, along the, the Roaring Fork River there in Aspen, and, and she's like, wow, look at that house across the river. Isn't it beautiful? And she's like, how much do you think that is? And I, I said, I bet it's $40 million. And she was like, and I pulled up Zillow. You know, my, and I had my GPS and pulled it up right there. $43 million, this home right across the street, I think Oprah, Op- Oprah's house isn't even as nice as that. She has a place in Aspen. It's one of the most expensive zip codes in the nation. And uh, anyways, that kind of blows my mind a little bit. I think real estate here is expensive, but uh, it's, it's kind of wild. You know, just for an average house there, it's probably around $10 million. So anyways, we had, we had a good time. And, um, but my, my friend, he's just a very generous person. He just has a very generous heart, very generous soul. You know, he just said, you know, whatever you guys want while you're here at this place, just, just charge it to, to my account, charge it to my room, and I'll, I'll figure out what the point's how to make it happen. And that place, it's not cheap. Heather's like, well, I want a pedicure, and it's like $300 for a pedicure. <laughs> oh, well, they don't have it on Saturdays, but we're just asking the spa, you know, how much it is for just basic thing. You know, I think it's $300 for a massage there, and it's kind of, kind of wild. So, um... Um, if, if my friend doesn't have enough points, I'm sure he'll send me the invoice <laughs> with interest, because he's a Gentile, not a Jew, and he can charge his friend interest. But man, just that, that generous, that, that, that spirit of generosity, that, that leads you to have a divine imagination. You know, when, I, when, I, when um, he first went off to college, his imagination wasn't working right. He wasn't really glorifying God, not really being thankful. He came from a, a, a pretty well-off family, but uh, his, his ambition was to, to be homeless. I, I just, I just want to be, I, I think uh, I, I need to just learn how to be homeless. And like, that was seriously his, his, his imagination at the time. He wasn't sure if there was a God. He, he was becoming a hippie. He wouldn't shave, wouldn't, like he, his imagination was going in the wrong direction. But, but God has done something in him, amen? I, I, I continue to be his friend and would just tell him flat out, like, you're an idiot, there is a God. You know, you shouldn't <laughs> desire to be homeless. You should want to have a job, want to have a wife, want to have children, you know, live in a house someday. 
And man, his, his um, imagination has gone a different direction. You know, he's like, let's stay in these suites. I got the points. Let's do it. Amen. And he's a very, very, man, that, that divine imagination, generosity is attached to that. Thankfulness is attached to that. So thankfulness directs your imagination. You know, we can allow God to guide our imagination and our desires. When I was in high school, one of my favorite scriptures, every now and then I have a favorite scripture that just really speaks to me, that, that's just like foundational in my life at that time. I call it an anchor scripture. It's just something that, that you're just anchored to. And oftentimes when I, when I meet people, pray for people, counsel people, I, I just talk to them, pray. You need to find an anchor scripture. What are you just going to, one or two verses are you just going to hang on to? Like it's, it's your anchor. And this is my anchor verse for many years. I even um, wrote it down on a postcard and taped it to my flute case. So this was from Psalm 20, verse 4. It says, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Yay! Man, that divine imagination, it's going to lead you into a divine purpose, a divine calling, a divine hope. And, and God, wants to, God wants to impact your desires. He wants to work in your soul, work in your heart. But, but man, it takes thankfulness, it takes generosity, it takes that divine imagination. I also like what Psalm 37 verse 4 says. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. If you're struggling in your heart, if you're struggling in your soul, figure out how, how, to, how to just, sometimes you just got to jumpstart yourself. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up at church and I'm going to worship like a wild person. I don't care what my emotions are telling me. I don't care what my feelings, my thoughts, my circumstances, my what. I don't care. I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. I'm going to possess my soul. I'm going to possess. And you'd be, it's interesting when God starts stirring up. Man, God, God wants to work in your heart. He wants to work in your soul. He wants to work in your imagination, in your thought. And, and God, God can direct your desires. Some of you are just letting your desire, letting your thoughts, letting your whatever just direct you, letting, letting what your friends say or, or what society says, whatever direct you. God, God needs to be the one directing your desires. Some people let money direct their desires. Man, I'm just going to go into this field because there's money there. That's why there's so many miserable people because the, the, the right things aren't directing their desires. And God, if you, if you ask him to, to direct your desires, he'll do it. And sometimes he'll surprise you with what he, he puts in your heart to start desiring. You know, when my wife first moved here about four and a half years ago, you know, she had been married seven years. The last three years of marriage, her husband um, uh, dealt with cancer, eventually passed away. So she, she, she was kind of burned out on marriage. She just wanted a fresh start after kind of going through all the process after he passed away. Um, after a year, she moved here to go to Bible school, but, but getting married again was the last thing on her desire list. Right? It was probably, probably the... No, yeah, and, and if, if it was an inkling of being remarried, it was to 
you know, a, some kind of southern dude with a beard and a truck and... She even told me, you know, she thought, well, maybe some, someday I'll remarry, but, it, you know, this guy's got to be really tall and dark and handsome and got a beard and a truck and <laughs> liked to hunt and fish. And, and lo and behold, God crosses our paths. <laughs> this, you know, clean-shaven, doctor of music, classical flute player, preacher, red-headed, Slim. Not Southern. And um, I, think, I think God told her early on that this is going to be your husband, but it, it was so far removed from her initial desire, she just thought, that's the devil. <laughs> And, um, you know, we, we went on a few dates, and I think, I think she started having a little fire kindling for that desire, and she, she wanted to just shut it down. No, that's not my desire. My desire is to go to Bible college and nothing else. And um, she, she cut it off. But then, then God, she just said, God, I, I want you to speak to me. I want your desires to be my desires. And, and God just put this desire on her heart. She suddenly thought I was the most handsome, just amazing piece of man. <laughs> just couldn't keep her hands off me, you know, after. But even, even um, during our one-year courtship and, and, you know, engagement period, she, she, it was funny, all these other guys who were like the, the southern, every southern boy at Carey's Bible College was after her. Like, oh, she's got a, she sounds just like my mama. Uh, but Heather, Heather uh, did something, a few things that are really smart that she did, that a lot of young people don't, you know, she, she um, where, where she was, she, she had a lot of good friends, but she had some that didn't give her the best life advice. Some of them, their advice was, hey, your husband's dead, just do you now. Just do you. And um, she, she realized that some of these people around her age didn't have the best advice. The, maybe the most greatest life experience. And when she moved here at Bible school, all of her friends, her, the average age is probably around 70. And she sat by, you know, this, this group of women who, who all had gray hair. And, and um, you know, as some of these southern boys would, you know, try to approach her and sit next to her and, and, and cross some boundaries, they didn't realize that she was dating Pastor Aaron at the time. They, they, they ran him off. <laughs> They, some told them to get lost. <laughs> now, some, of you, some of these young people say, well, I just, I just want to be where I, I want to be, where the young people are. Man, maybe you should be where the gray-headed people are and get some, some wisdom in your life. 
It might spare you a lot of stupid. <laughs> so anyways, we, we, were, we were engaged. Um, Heather, God, God was still um, working in her heart. This is what I'm going to talk about tonight, how God, God um, can purge your conscience, purge your soul, cleanse, cleanse your heart, your emotions, your... your difficulties, past memories, past hardships, maybe even trauma, addictions, guilt, shame. God, God purges that. I want to talk about how the blood of Jesus purges your conscience, purges your, your soul. So maybe, maybe, maybe you're dealing with guilt, shame, anxiety, depression, just despair, you're really struggling over a loss, just it's, it's, it's kind of holding on to you. Maybe it's, maybe it's an addict. God, the blood of Jesus can purge that. I, I always ask God what to, what to preach on, and he told me to preach on how, how the blood of Jesus purges the conscience. And I saw, I saw in that year of our, our courtship and our engagement leading up to our wedding day, I saw how the blood of Jesus purged Heather, purged her in her heart, her, her, um, her attitude towards uh, marriage, even towards a wedding, even towards a wedding dress. When we first got, she, she went out and, and got, got a kind of a cheapo wedding dress. That's the only cheap thing Heather has ever bought. <laughs> She bought a wedding dress for $100 off of eBay from China. Because she, she realized you get what you pay for. And um, I, I was fine. I'm, I'm, I'm Aaron Purdue. I'm Lawson Purdue's son. I'm, I'm fine with a $100 wedding dress. <laughs> but, you know, God, God, um, God was, was and. She, she was just kind of wanting to get this wedding over with. Now, I don't care what the colors are. I don't care what the flowers are. I don't care what the music is. Just do whatever. I've already had a wedding before. And... But, but something started changing in her. And she decided, you know, I, I think I want a different dress. I said, sure. Do what you want. You know, we aren't married yet, so... Your money's your money, and... And um, she went out to a very nice boutique right, right by the church here, and, and she just walked in, I think, is the first, was it the first place you went to? Yeah, and she just looked at the most expensive dress in the window and said, I want that one. And it was a $4,000 dress. She went from $100 times 40 to 4000 And when she told me, she kind of didn't want to tell me how much she spent on this, on this dress. And like we played the guessing game, you know, like, well, was it a thousand? I, I don't know how much dresses are. This is like the price is right. And <laughs> but she was probably surprised. I was actually happy for you. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. I was happy because I knew, I knew to me, it was a sign that God, God was doing something in her heart, even about these small details. And, um, Shortly after, um, God put it on a, a single mother's heart here. An immigrant from another country, a single mother, 
Just God just put it on her heart to bring $1,000 cash and just hand it to Heather at church and say, this is for your wedding dress. That, that happened, what, just a couple weeks after your... God, God, God likes to confirm things, you know? He'll, he'll bring confirmation that you heard from me, even if it means buying a nice wedding dress. And, um, man, God, God, that, that, the blood of Jesus purges your conscience. I believe that people can be set free. It, it, might, it might take a, a few months. It might be immediate. I've seen people just have immediate shifts in their desires. Maybe, maybe, maybe for years they desired to drink a six-pack of beer every single day. But, but man, the, the blood of Jesus just hits their, their conscience, hits their heart, hits their soul, and just purges that, cleanses it immediately. So let's just talk about how the blood of Jesus purges your conscience. I got this from Hebrews 9. Turn to Hebrews 9. This is a great message. I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach on this thing quite this way. But a lot of people really struggle in their soul, really struggle in their hearts. In, um, I think this is going to help set a lot of people free and just understand God's heart for your heart. Hebrews 9, let's start in verse 6. And we'll read down probably through verse 15 here. So it says, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. So he's talking about when, when, the, when the tabernacle was set up, when the Holy of Holies was set up with the, the Ark of the Covenant, with um, the manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. These things were prepared. Then the priests went in, performing the services. But it says, In the second part, the high priest went all alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So the, the high priest would only go into the Holy of Holies where, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was once a year. This is not without blood. Um, he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So he's saying that, that was, they only came in once a year and the Holy Spirit was indicating that it wasn't yet possible for man to just live in God's presence. Verse 9 says, it was symbolic for the present time. Say it was symbolic. For the pre a lot of things that were, were mentioned, I, I love Old Testament. I love, there, there's a lot of things that are symbolic, things that point to the present time, that point to um, the new covenant that we are in with Jesus. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Get that? After, if, even if this high priest did everything perfectly, if he, if he had all, all, all the, perfect, the, the perfect lamb, the perfect bull, the perfect red heifer, a lot of people are super excited, especially charismatic, prophetic type people, because these five red heifers from Texas that were sent to Israel, they're the, they're the first pure red heifers that Israel has had in 2,000 years. I'm more excited about another sacrifice that was made 2,000 years ago. 
Red heifers don't really excite me a whole lot. Why? Because they cannot purge the, con the conscience. It says even if you did everything perfectly, it will not, it cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. All of, the, all of these sacrifices, all of these ordinances, everything could not, the law cannot, cannot impact your soul, impact your conscience. How many of you agree that the conscience is a part of your soul? It's perhaps the, the bridge between the spirit and your soul. Verse 10, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come which, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Part of eternal redemption, eternal redemption includes the soul, includes the conscience, includes your thought life, includes your emotions, your desires, your imagination. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience, purge your conscience. The blood of Jesus will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal life. The blood of of Jesus purges your conscience. Not, not, not the ashes of red heifers. It says that it cannot perfect you. But we know from, from Hebrews that we are perfected forever by the offering that Jesus made. So the blood of Jesus can purge your conscience. Nothing else, no, no system of works, no religion, no, no law can do that. It cannot impact the soul. Paul said he kept the law blameless. He said in his heart, in his soul, he raged with exceeding rage to the point of, of killing Christians. But the blood of Jesus did something to his conscience, did something to his soul. To me, it's really amazing that someone who, who, who went from killing people to, to being w willing to die himself, to, to, to preach Jesus to people, his conscience was radically changed. You know, if, if, you, if you talk to a, a normal psychologist, they would say, Paul, Paul should be crippled by the guilt, crippled by the trauma of the things he's imposed on people. He was right there watching Stephen get stoned to death. God, God redeemed his heart. The blood of Jesus did something to, to his heart. Look at, look at Peter, you know, denied Jesus three times. Imagine, you know, this, this, this man you fought, you believed he was the Messiah, you believed he was the king of kings. You followed him day and night for, for three years. 
And then when, when, when it matters most, and part of him wanted to stand up for Jesus, even, even to the point of taking a sword and swiping an ear off the high priest's servant. That's how eager he was in, in his emotions. But at a deep heart level, he, he was still a coward. The blood of Jesus hadn't really purged his conscience yet. But man, he, he denied Jesus three times. Just think, think, think about that. Being with Jesus for, for three years, being, being one of his closest three friends and just deserting him in, in, in his hour of need. And, and think about the guilt that Peter probably had in the natural. But yet, just, you know, probably most people will need therapy for, for decades. So, you know, pastor, I... I I apostatized. I denied Jesus. No, I didn't just deny him. I denied him when it really mattered. But 50 days later, man, the Holy Spirit can electrify that blood of Jesus in your conscience. Had no impact on him. And he just stepped into his calling, stepped into his anointing. So the blood of Jesus purges your conscience. The word purge, in the Greek, it's katharizo. Catharizo. It sounds like catharsis. Catharsis. Catharsis means to like the release of strong, repressed emotion, like freedom in your emotional state. You know this this word. I looked up how you know where it's used in the New Testament. It's often used to talk about the cleansing of a leper. So just like Jesus cleansed lepers, he wants to cleanse your your soul. He wants to cleanse your conscience. He wants to cleanse your, your desires, your thought life, your dreams, your imagination. You know, man, like religion is very concerned about the outward appearance, about how things look, about the outward sprinkling. Can I, can I modify this guy's behavior? Can I create a perfect robot to do what I want it to do? Whether it be, can I make this robot vote how I want him to vote? Can I make this robot dependent upon me like I want him dependent upon me? Can I make this robot? Man's very concerned about the outward appearance. Religion is very concerned about the outward appearance. But God, he's concerned about the heart. He wants to cleanse the inner man, the hidden man of the heart. Man, people, people still fall apart in debate. You know what, what? The pastor, what jewelry the pastor, pastor's wife is wearing. Even today, man, there is so much religion tied up in appearances. Tied up in the, the appearances of a worship team. The instrumentation. God doesn't care if you, if you worship on a flute or a harp or a banjo or a sitar or an electric guitar or an organ or a piano or vocally. He, he really doesn't care. He's looking at the heart. Man, Lord, the, the Lord spoke something powerful to Samuel. This is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Do not look at his outward appearance, at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's looking at the soul, at the inner man, at the spirit. 
But man, um, people, man, religion just focuses on the outward thing. Just, I, I, God, God wanted me to share this with you. This is from Luke 11. Let's go to Luke 11, verse 37. Luke 11. Verse 37. So it says, And as he spoke, as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. Why did Jesus eat? Because he was hungry. Heather got it. We're on the same wavelength. He ate because he was hungry. And sometimes when you're hungry, you forget to do certain things. You know, my, on Sundays, you know, my parents usually come over for lunch, and my dad's usually very hungry. He usually doesn't sit down and wait for everyone and, and say a nice prayer. He, he's usually done with his meal before we even think about praying or think about washing our hands and all the lepers we touched at church. So he sat down to eat because he was hungry. Jesus had just got done preaching. He's very hungry. He sat down and he ate. That is what hungry people do. They sit down and they eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. <laughs> Heather, Heather sometimes marvels that Pastor Lawson did not first wash. Pastor Lawson did not say his prayer. Uh, here, here is the, the living water. The Lord, Jesus Christ, the, the Lord who sanctifies. He is Jehovah Makedesh in the flesh, the great sanctifier. And he's concerned that, that Jesus did not wash his hands. And, and Jesus went off. And he was hungry. When you're hungry, you better... Care, be careful what you say to a hungry person. A hungry child, a hungry wife, you know, a hungry dog, a hungry Lord and Savior. Be careful if you're going to criticize Jesus when he's hungry. Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you, but woe to you, Pharisees. Man, he just goes on and on and on. And then a lawyer in verse 45 really didn't... Um, Learn his lesson. <laughs> Teacher, by, by saying that, you reproach us also. He says, well, I haven't reproached you enough, lawyer. Let me go off on you lawyers now. And um, <laughs> woe to you, lawyers, you know. <laughs> Jesus went from uh, grace to truth <laughs> very quickly. And to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. That's like this Pharisee. He, he was 
unbelieving, nothing was pure, not even Jesus Christ, the, the purest person to ever walk on the face of the earth. You know, verse 29, he said, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean. That word clean, it's that word katharizo. But your inward part, your inward part, God wants to renew the inward part. He wants to cleanse. Man, God, God's will is to cleanse. Just like he cleansed leopard, he wants to cleanse your heart, your conscience, your, your desires. He wants to set people free from bitterness, from unforgiveness, but you have to, you have to give it over to him. Let's look at Luke 5, Luke 5, verse 12. I love this story about this particular leper. Jesus cleansed several lepers. I'm talking about this, this purging, this cleansing, the same word. Here we see in this story, Luke 5, verse 12, it says, now it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy, he was full of le leprosy is a progressive disease. You know, years ago, someone, someone came to me, um, just came to our church. He didn't come to this church, but he, he um, just showed up. Um, this, I'd only been here for a few months as a pastor, but this, this young man, he's about my age, just came, just said, I need help. I, I, I have a lot of um, sexual addiction problems. I, I, need, I, I need help. Can I talk to a pastor? And um, uh, we said, sure. Well, let's just chat right now. So I, I, I went into the room with him, and also the, the worship pastor at the time, Case and Cruz, went into the room with me. And uh, this, this young man was just saying uh, kind of what had happened. He was a Bible school student, and he um, got a girl pregnant. He was engaged to be married to her, but he just said, I just don't feel like I love her anymore. When he said, I don't feel, you know, and, and he just said, I just don't feel. He, I think he was wanting someone to just justify his feelings. And he said, you know, I've, you know, she's pregnant, we're engaged, but I, I, I've still been sleeping around still hooking up with other chicks, whatever he said, like, no, no remorse. Just a very, like his, and, and uh, just, I can't marry her because I just don't feel. I don't feel. And I said, your feelings, I said, your feelings are the last thing you need to listen to. Yes. I said, you have I think God put this word in my mouth as kind of a woe to you type thing. I said, you have cancer of the soul, leprosy of the soul. And I, I said, you, you need to get some major help. And I, gave, I told him, you need to contact this particular Christian counselor who, who specializes in this area. And he just said, well, will that cost money? I said, you are dying. I said, you are pretty much beyond the point of, I said, if a doctor told you you had stage four cancer and, and you needed this treatment, that there's a possibility we could save you, would you ask, well, is this going to cost me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My feelings. 
He said he's, he's had over 50 sexual partners. I said, this, this woman is pregnant with your child. If you don't care for that child, Jesus Christ himself said it would be better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be thrown into the sea. Oh, yeah, this is Pastor Lawson. Like, oh, this is Aaron. <laughs> so I'm very careful about who I send to Aaron to, to mentor and counsel. This is wild. This is wild, This is... Uh, I took him out, out into the church and I pointed to the, the second row, first seat. I said, you need to be at this seat every Wednesday night. It's the first thing you need to do. Second thing you need to do, every time you feel like you're, you're gonna flush out, I said, just start running. So just be like Forrest Gump and run and run and run and run until you just pass out and can't <laughs> sin. There's no blood flow in your body to allow you to sin. You'll, you'll just be laying on the ground. And step three, I said, call this, this you know, Christian counselor. I don't think he did a single thing. God, God wants to, 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 he wants to help us. And, um, this man was full of this progressive, progressive thing on his skin. Some people have this progressive stuff going on in their, in their hearts. Bitterness can grow. It's a root of bitterness. It can grow. Certain addictions can, can spiral out of control, can grow. But, but Jesus wants to purge, to cleanse your soul, to cleanse your conscience. So he, he comes to Jesus falls on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Not, not the greatest prayer of faith. It was one of those if it be thy will kind of prayers. If you are willing. And I, I just, and this is just such a beautiful picture of grace. He put out his hand and touched him. He probably not been touched in, in years, maybe decades, touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed, be purged. Be... And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him, all the more in great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Just like God heals lepers. I love this story because it's, it's, a, it's a story of grace. If you're willing, you can make me clean. You can purge me if you're willing. And he just did it and said, I am willing be clean. You know, a few weeks back, I shared about Naaman the leper. You know, in, in a, it's from 2 Kings 5. Naaman the leper, he was the commander of the Syrian army, someone who really wasn't deserving to be cleansed. And he just happened to hear from his wife's slave girl from Israel that there was a man of God in Israel 
So he went to Israel seeking for this man of God, and, and he, he figured out where he lived, went to the house. The man of God wouldn't even come down and see him. But the messenger said to, to bathe in the Jordan seven times. He thought that, that is a filthy, filthy, it is a filthy river. I've, I've been baptized in it myself. One time was enough. I don't need to do it seven times. It smells, it's... But that, that river, it, it's a symbol. It's a shadow of things to come. What, what, what is... You know, Elisha knew that there's, there's something very symbolic, very special, very prophetic about that river. That was the same river that Joshua led the Israel, Israelites across. That entire nation left the desert, left the house of bondage, and, and entered the house of promise. As Joshua you know, followed those priests, as those priests carried that ark as they carried God's presence into the river, the, the waters stopped and they crossed on dry ground. He knew that that, that, that river had special meaning to him personally. Because for years and years, he followed Elijah. He saw Elijah do all these awesome miracles. Elijah was a man of God, and he was just serving, serving, serving. How can I help? How can I give? What can I do to help Elijah? But God told him, if you are with Elijah, when he is caught up, if you are faithful until the end, what do you want? I want a double portion. Well, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Keep doing what I've called you to do. Elijah even said, you need to go. You need to go. You need to go. Elisha would not leave. He had being faithful. And finally, near Jericho, Elisha was there when he saw Elijah get caught up into heaven by the chariots of fire. And what, what did he do? He picked up the mantle of Elijah. And he walked to the Jordan River. And he took that mantle and he slammed the river and said, where is the God of Elijah? And the waters divided everywhere. And he walked into his calling. These were the same waters where Jesus would be baptized by John the Baptist, where Jesus went under the water. When he came up, the Spirit came upon him like a dove and, and remained upon him. And the audible voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That, that, that river, it's a symbol, it's a shadow of the healing of the nations. You know, it, so, so when, when we are saved, you are saved past, present, and future. When, when you believe on, your, your, your spirit was saved. But your soul, it's continually being saved. Salvation is also a, a current thing, a present thing. Your soul need, needs to be renewed. Your mind needs to be renewed, refreshed, right? That's why the Bible says don't, be trans, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. You need to keep going down to the waters. You need to keep going down to the living. You need to keep going to the word of God. You need to keep going to a place where there is living water continually. Keep being renewed. Seven times is keep going to the word. 
How can a young man fight, cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? You don't just take heed once. You take heed continually. I like what the Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, that's the church, with the washing of water by the word. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. This is the, the future salvation. We will, we will, God will future give you, it, save your body. If he got up out of the grave, I'm getting out too. That was a past thing, that's a present thing, that's a future thing. But presently, your, your soul, your, your heart, your imagination, your desires, it, it's a continual renewal. Though your outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That, that blood of Jesus, it is there as a continual sacrifice. The word of God is there for us continually. So keep being renewed. Amen? And one more, one more thought. I talked about how in the Old Testament, these things were shadows of the good things to come, right? That's what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So those five red heifers... I was reading, reading, you know, prophetic teachings on it. Like, man, if they, there's, there's one white hair in, in them, then Jesus can't come again. It's just some loopy, loop-de-loop stuff. Jesus, his timing is not dependent upon the red hair of heifers in Israel. So I'm going to talk about this, this, this shadow of things to come. This is, go ahead and turn really quick to Exodus 39. Exodus 39, verse 27. This is talking about the priestly garments. Who here is a priest? Who here can access the throne? Access the holy of holies? Who here can do it more than once a year? So you are higher than the high priest of the Old Testament if you think you can access God's throne room more than once a year. So you should consider yourself to be a priest. Does that make sense? Exodus 39, verse 27 through 30. This is, this is a, a shadow, a picture of what has come to you concerning your, your heart, your soul, your conscience, your imagination. Exodus 39, verse 27, they made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons. A turban of fine linen, exquisite hat. Say exquisite. Heather likes that word. Especially concerning her wedding. Exquisite. Hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and a sash of fine woven linen. Linen is a very breathable material. It's talking about entering rest. It's talking about not, not sweating, not working, not toiling, not wearing linen. A sash of fine woven linen with purple, 
with blue, with scarlet thread, made by a weaver. As the Lord had commanded Moses, then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet. Signet. How do you say that? I don't even know. Signet. Holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. That's talking about your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, your dreams, your imaginations. As a priest, it's holy to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Whatever sorrow, anguish, hardship you may have in your heart, I know that Jesus cares about it. He cares about it. Just like he can number the number of hairs on your head, just like he can number the number of red hairs on a heifer, and he doesn't care. Jesus does not care. So if you have a prophetic ministry, you should not care either. Does not matter. I know that Jesus cares about you. His will for you is good. And I believe that right now, whatever is, is hurting your heart, hurting your soul, hindering you from that complete purity, complete holiness to the Lord in your, in your soul, in your imaginations, I, I believe that Jesus right now is stretching out his hand and saying, I am willing, be thou cleansed. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.